Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram. It's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's still read in about four different ways from this Saturday, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? That's a uh, that's a very fair way to open this. Yeah, I am uh, I am the victim of of many things, including uh, the sun. Yeah, I, I clearly was standing in a corner of, of the of the stadium in the lower bowl, just behind the Longhorn band. And uh, as it happens, stands got crowded, so I was angled my body also to my group of people. Felt felt more. Like I could just kind of stand at an angle and a half seat than a whole seat. So I literally have like a two-face situation going on with a sun, uh, a sick sunburn across half my face. Um, thank God for aloe vera. It's, uh, it's probably going to be a nice, nice appealing uh, situation. But uh, yeah, that, that I guess was the only, the only piece of crimson that hurt uh, this weekend. Gerald, it's, it's my poor face. So we were supposed to have a post-game live stream on Saturday, and then uh, there was no signal were good enough for us to get. Kyle was going to be live from the fairgrounds. I was, I was. Uh, eating a corny dog or a turkey leg, or I'm always like a roasted corn kind of guy, too. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a low-key mm-hmm. heater at the at the fair. but So we couldn't do that, couldn't pull that off, unfortunately. So why we did not have a live stream. But we're not here to talk about technical difficulties. We're here to talk about on-the-field difficulties <laughs> for the Texas Longhorns. One of the, the most frustrating games I feel like I've seen in a couple of years. I don't know. Yeah. The, a lot There were a lot of fun. That's recency bias. Last year was fu- frustrating as all get out. But again, I'm in my feelings a little bit. It's fine. Texas built up a huge lead on OU, got off of them, scored. I think the first opening play score in like Red River rivalry history, if if the tweets I saw were accurate, but scored on the opening play, had all sorts of momentum going their way, uh, got Spencer Rattler benched once again, which is turning out to be my favorite Red River <laughs> rivalry tradition. Spencer Rattler got benched, made way for K- Caleb Williams, and then OU seemed to respond to the young quarterback Scoring 24 unanswered points, starting with one minute and two seconds left in the third quarter. A sequence of three touchdowns and a field goal to take the lead. Texas kind of imploded. And even though Texas responded strongly, I might add, OU was able to score a basically walk-off touchdown with three seconds left to send Texas out sad once again. There's a lot of statistical stuff that we need to break down. But Kyle, as I think about that game... I have this weird mix of like frustration that Texas lost a extremely winnable game to its biggest rival and understanding that these are the types of things that sometimes happen as you're shifting culture. And so I'm trying to balance those two things in my head. And I just want to know, like, where are you at, you know, two ish days removed from the game? That's a really good question. It, I painfully did a rewatch. I, I watched it in the stadium and I almost thought I don't 
want to watch that again. Uh, but I, I did painfully complete a rewatch, and I found myself getting excited again in the first half, even though I knew what was coming. It was just such a beautiful half. There was such good things uh, that happened. My takeaway is I don't know if we could have had a better first half or a worse second half, right? I don't know that either of those things could have really shifted more than an inch or two uh, on the spectrum of, of, of greatness. One, obviously, um, very great, and one not. I... I I joked uh, when we started the third quarter s- slow with the folks next to me. Maybe maybe Sark had let the players out into the the midway, and and they were going in on some of those uh, deep fried items you had you had mentioned. And we went from all gas no breaks to all grease no breaks. But um, <laughs> <sighs> this is a micro macro situation as we've talked about a few times this year. If you zoom out, Texas played a top ten team with a first year Sark with you know mostly inherited players that that were there from before that don't necessarily aren't handpicked for either uh, offensive or defensive coordinator system. And we got out to, you know, a big lead against a, what should be a very good OU team. I'm still unsure how perfect that team they are, but you think about that, you think about if this game played out differently and it was just a back and forth shootout, 55 to 48, what a different feeling you would have for being close to it. I think it hurts so much because it was so very and so clearly there for them from the beginning. There's some things we can talk about and we'll break down in further depth, but I think that's I think that's the overall feeling. It hurts so much because it wasn't a bang-bang, could have gone either way, trading off haymakers all game long. It really was one team got out to such a fast start, and you could feel it in the stadium. The momentum just slipped from one side of the stadium to the other, and it, and it just really never came back. Yeah, I, I had people texting me and like messaging me left and right, and like Texas is gonna do it. I'm in a group chat with some people who are OU fans, and they were like, "I'm about to turn the game off," and I'm like, "Have you never watched this game before? <laughs> like, I will not be feeling good until the clock hits all zeros because it's a game that you're one or two plays away from the pendulum completely shifting, and that's one of the things that makes this game special and it just kind of sucked that a lot of the 50 50 balls went the other direction because marcus washington's foot is like you know a size smaller and marvin mim's size uh, foot is a size bigger we're in a completely different conversation or if you know deshaun jameson is able to strip the ball a half a second earlier there's a lot of those things that bounce but the thing that i think was it's disheartening to lose that especially in the way that it did especially seeing the same run play go for two long touchdowns that kind of really yeah ice the thing and win the thing like that sucks that hurts and i hate watching it now super super frustrated right after the game but the response after the go-ahead touchdown was the thing that stuck out to me was when when xavier worthy gets stripped on Mm -hmm. the kick return Mm -hmm. they go and score and maybe this is just me having burn orange colored glasses on but I feel like teams in the past couple of years would not have scored to tie it up. They would not have gone down. They would not have gone back to Xavier Worthy for another bomb to score and tie the game up. And that to me is the signs of the thing shifting. And, you know, we could, we could, we're going to break down in just a moment, all of the other things, but as we talk about this, this is a team that I think is moving in the right direction. And I'm just going to say this and we'll talk, I'll talk about it more in my bang the drum, but everybody had Texas somewhere in the range of four and two (laughs) or three and three to start the season with one, non at least one non-conference loss and probably a loss to OU, if not TCU as well. So raise your hand if you're one of those people. And if you are raising your hand right now, then chill out. Like that's where I'm at right now. But 
there's stuff to talk about on the field. The defense gave up a ton of yardage. I think the, the run defense is a thing that jumps off the page to me. I wrote about it in the inside the numbers. 339 rushing yards. That's the 20th highest uh, single game rushing yard total allowed. And the wild thing about that is it's only six yards more than the Arkansas game. So Texas is like one carry away or like one kneel down really away from having two games in the bottom 20 for rushing performances of all time this year. Again, second time they've given up more than 300, uh, uh, 300 yards and four touchdowns in a game. 258 of Oklahoma's rushing yards came on runs longer than 10 yards. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing to me if there's a glare, there's there's some glaring things on the defense, but I think the most glaring thing that I can talk about uh, on the game as a whole is it's time for a come to Jesus with Pete Kwiatkowski. And I'm not all in on firing a coach six games into his tenure, but I think there's a conversation that needs to be had about how can he shift the focus of his defensive philosophy to shutting down a team like, let's just say it, Iowa State in a couple of weeks that's going to come and try to run the ball. How are you going to do that? Because that's the thing that needs to happen. They answered well from a a rice or excuse me a Arkansas beatdown game with a a nice soft you know bed of rice to to land on. They have Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State all looming, so it's not as as sweet uh, to immediately kind of recover from uh, the what's going to be a, a certainly a gash, something that that is a scar, it is a wound, um, and so how PK responds now immediately um, in, in this week's game, which we'll, we'll preview later this week. But also, like you said, in the coming games, if I'm if I'm a coach and, and, and I'm any good at my job, I'm watching, you know, how Oklahoma basically averaged, you know, double digits on, on 15 yards per carry on counter plays. You know, how uh, what Arkansas did with just, just mauling that, that, you know, three man front with two high safety look. Like I, I, I if I'm Mike Gundy, I'm becoming a master in a week in in exactly those types of of runs. You know, and 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 why not until Texas proves they can stop it, right? And so I, I think it's going to be interesting. So we'll also talk about some banged up pieces and stuff like that. That you know, it may just be that they don't have the exact guys for what Coach K wants to run. I'm I'm never ever 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 uh, an advocate for firing uh, a coordinator in the first year or, or anything crazy like that, right? Like. Even if this is a bad year the rest of the year out, I feel like you have to give a little time here with a first-year coach, first-year coordinator. But I do think you know part of your job is to to coach the parts you have. Go recruit some more, sure. But part of your job is to coach what you have and, and use it to its most effective strengths. Uh, you know, I didn't think we did not get beat over the top on plays when safeties were involved, save um, when we had a cornerback blitz and it was uh, Foster one-on-one. Most of the deep plays, and we'll talk about this in, the, in a bit, were, were kind of just Hail Mary chunks from from in the passing game from OU's quarterback, and, and every single time it seemed like OU's receivers beat our either corner or in the one instance safety one-on-one. Um, that sucks. You got to coach that out, but it felt like we were preparing for that and just giving up and seeding that run. And that that is where the the philosophical change has to happen. You have to see that again. I don't know that Spencer Sanders is as good as either of the OU quarterbacks um, who we'll see coming up. But you know, I, I do think that there's a blueprint that's very clearly laid out at this point for any team and. Again, you have to see something different. You have to see some different gaps, some different run fits. You have to see fill the box a little bit more. Dare teams, you know, rely on your cornerbacks who you think are good, um, but there has to be a shift. 
there's like two things at play. One, I think, like, I'm just going to be honest. I think there are some athletic deficiencies in a couple of spots that are costing Texas. And I'm like screaming for uh, Tyler Owens to go the DeMarvian Overshone route of like just put on 15 pounds and play safety. You will, or play linebacker. You will end up in the NFL because that's what DeMarvian Overshone's career path was. And that could be you, Tyler Owens. We'll just keep bringing that up until. Either he does or he graduates. Either way, we came into the year thinking that the the front was going to be the strength because right. there's a lot of talent. There's some guys that will honestly end up playing on Sundays. I, th I think it's the problem that we saw not last year but the year before where you've got guys that are honestly probably not necessarily a fit for this hybrid three-man front. And and I don't think a three-man front is the problem. People have been stopping the run with a 3-4 defense since the beginning of football. Right. But guys playing out of position – in positions that don't maximize their strengths and skill sets will get you beat in that type of front. And so I think there's some fits there as well. And I just, a lot of what plagued Texas was really Caleb Williams' ability to make plays off schedule and off platform. Most of the plays that were big were the plays where he made, so he extended a play with his feet and he was able to run for a chunk of yardage or he made a safety or corner freeze for half a second to open up a receiver downfield chunks up a 50 50 ball and it goes heads not tails yeah. so it's hard to account for that in your game plan right caleb williams is a guy who sooner rather than later will probably be in a heisman trophy conversation people have him in the heisman conversation after one game that is asinine but <laughs> i would say probably once Spencer Rattler transfers, because he's going to, uh, once Caleb Williams fully takes over. SMU career, quarterback Spencer Rattler, please use the full title. I, USC needs a quarterback. He seems like a West Coast guy. I don't think he'd fit in at SMU. Makes sense. Maybe Stanford. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. But that's either here nor there. Like, when you look at the receiving numbers, Mims' big plays were all massive chunk plays that were off platform. Yeah. Off schedule, right? Outside of that, it was a relatively quiet day for the rest of the receivers. And so how do you coach your guys up to be looking for the ball in that situation? How do you coach your guys up to be able to create and set the edges, right? There were a lot of chunk plays that were really off-platform, off-schedule stuff. Off of uh, the regulations of, of football, but I won't get into that. If you step out of bounds willingly, you can't come back in and catch it. But look, there, there were multiple plays that I feel like there was something about this defense came in with an idea that they were going to stop Spencer Rattler. They stopped him last year, and they felt like they could stop him again this year. They they had heard all the preseason Heisman talk. They had been focusing, you know, probably since last October, but certainly this entire offseason on, we're going to stop Spencer Rattler. And I think that the team really very much believed that. They were on a high. Both opening scripts offense, we'll talk in a moment, but defense came out, you know, just, just wonderfully, right? Again, if, if a review goes different, and they review that Mims catch showing that, Great catch he made, but he willingly went out of bounds without being forced out, reestablished himself, and caught a pass. They, they chose to challenge the wrong part, but it's probably 35-0 to zero to start out the, the game, which is even you know more ridiculous than 28-7. to seven. Uh, But nonetheless, I'm just saying, Rattler, you know, with that big play being most of his yards, 9 for 16, 112 yards, half of them ill-gotten, uh, interception and a fumble, UT shut Spencer Rattler down. They they legitimately did um, in that opening drive. The the first big kind of uh, nasty play that happened to Texas was a was a fourth and one they went for where they first teased Caleb Williams in there. He broke one tackle and he had he's listed at four five seven speed, but looked like even faster than that to break a sixty six yarder. But I mean it felt almost like I think it was two drives later when when the change was officially made. It felt like with Rattler it out, right? Once the Texas defense realized we had stopped him that almost there was 
I don't know if they they let up, if they sighed that sigh of relief, they were up on the score, but I don't know what happened. But it, it took I don't know an infinite number, I guess, of, of punches to the face, and they they never responded. They never realized that okay, this kid is mobile, and like you said. Most of his plays, he had two fumbles that that were snapped fumbles that he completed both passes. He had one where a guy was holding his ankles, taking him down. He threw a pass. It got tipped, uh, and then a quarterback caught it. I, only you know two of those were on third downs that didn't actually convert, which is which is crazy though that beginner's luck just rolled so well for him. But he is a good quarterback. I never saw him make a make a single big throw with his feet set. He seems like a quarterback who will be on the move at all times. Again, great to know now um, since we know what quarterback he'll be for future years, but. It almost seemed like, as we were observing this, watching the game, I, I, I can't imagine that the, the 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 defensive coordinator, the defensive coaches, the the the, the D quality, uh, you know, a, a grad assistants and assistants aren't breaking this down and realizing this that, you know, keep it, keeping him from from moving. I don't know if he has the arm strength Rattler does. I mean, his deep balls were running forward, just chunking it like he was playing a game of jackpot. I don't know. I mean, you saw Williams do some really great things with his legs. I think he is a true dual threat probably closer to Jalen Hurts or honestly Kyler Murray with the the amount of just plays that he could make than than Rattler but I mean you have to be prepared for an offense doing something different when they make the switch you shouldn't have a quarterback know how no matter how highly touted he is be able to come in and be unrattled and it did feel like UT got pressure a couple times and and he dealt with it and then they kind of just backed off and said all right he's gonna he's he's shaky enough that we we can't do that uh we'll just we'll just blitz three or four and and hope for the best downfield and, and that clearly didn't work. Yeah, I think the inability to adjust to what Williams was doing was the frustrating part for me. It's it's again the the game plan for for what they saw initially was solid, and I think there's also something to be said because Texas has seen it as well. The guy the guys on the other sideline really responded to the backup. We said it on this podcast and we've talked about it a lot. The team will tell you who the real starter is mm-hmm. and the way the team responded, even gassing Caleb Williams up after that uh, big touchdown run, kind of shows you who the guys in the huddle wanted to be their quarterback and I think they responded accordingly. And so uh, Texas has seen a little bit of that with Casey Thompson as well. And Caleb Williams, I think, has the hearts and the minds of his team. We've alluded to several times, Spencer out there kind of being a tool. So I think there's a little <laughs> bit of that conversation to be had as well of like they really, really responded to the firebrand that is Caleb Williams. And yeah. The defense needs to figure something out this week. You know, whether it's Oklahoma State's going to try to run the ball. Mike Gundy said it in his Monday press conference. He doesn't want this thing to turn into a shootout. And so, again, I think Texas might be the first defense that OSU has played with a pulse. But that being said, we said the same thing about OU a week ago. Right. And here's where we're at. So the the defense needs to figure something out because you know what Spencer Sanders is in no way shape or form Caleb Williams but the guy we've seen him against Texas makes him off platform throws and so based on what we're seeing and talking about from Oklahoma there needs to be some quick improvements and I'll be honest with you it has to start with those guys in the front uh, six of the defense yeah absolutely and then the one last thing with that defense Gerald nine to nineteen on third downs not terrible you know they they gave up too many yards on on third down generally there was a 47 yarder on a third and five that you know was pretty key in the fourth quarter um after what should have been a fumble but um you know the the fourth and five after the the trick play flea flicker drive um they held him to a field goal there but they had an interception that they dropped there were so many key plays on defense that that almost were but what they truly did i think that they the defense while imperfect 
should have given the offense if they could have executed in the second half a chance is in the red zone. They held OU to field goals from 22, 12, 17, and nine yards out. Those are four winning plays. If you can hold what is, you know, let's not forget a Lincoln Riley offense, a well-coached offense, even if they hadn't been perfect this year with a lot of talent, especially in the receivers and running backs. Like they took a good team and buckled up as coach K defenses do in the red zone. Um, Again, some execution in the second half from the from the offense may have turned this into a whole different thing. And, Gerald, when we talk about the offense, I, I have some thoughts about that game-winning drive and, again, just how gutsy that was. And I wish – I wonder what the narrative about the defense would be if we came out with a win, right? I'll just leave it at that. I wonder if we somehow came out with a win – how differently if we would be focusing on the takeaways, the couple winning plays, the red zone stops from the defense can't overlook the amount of sheer yardage they gave up without a doubt. But I, I, I'm just curious what that conversation would look like. How dare you introduce nuance into this conversation, Kyle, we are takes only, but no, I think you're absolutely right. The, if the defense hadn't been um, what it was and, and given up, and I think the way that it ended, because OU is OU is setting up for a field goal, right? And so, like, if that if it ends on a field goal, the game winner from Burkich, I think there's a vastly different narrative than seeing Kennedy Brooks burst through the defense on the same stinking play that yeah. they ran two drives ago. So I think even that one play kind of shifted the way that Texas fans are talking about this. And so the defense again needs to get it figured out before Saturday because Oklahoma State's going to come in. And Gundy always has that team up for the game. So we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll talk about that on Thursday. You'll have Kyle and I back to preview that game. But first, we got to talk about the offense. So as Kyle alluded to on the other side of the break, there is the offensive performance is being overshadowed by the vinegar and bile people are throwing out on the internet for the defense. This is hands down one of the best offensive performances I think I've seen uh, as a Texas fan. I think outside of the Oklahoma State comeback, you know, which one, but probably the one in Austin is the bigger one. Uh, 516 total yards, 388 through the air, 128 on the ground. Sark said it in his Monday presser last week that he believes that if you shoot 50% in your first 10 miss, your second 10 are going to hit. And let's just say the second couple started to fall for Texas in this game. Open the game with a 75-yard uh, like wide receiver quick screen uh, to Xavier Worthy. Marcus Washington, I've been shouting his name on Twitter early and often. Um, I have never seen – this is a deep cut for the real ones. I have not seen a more willing blocker at wide receiver than Tony Jeffrey in 2004. Like that is like what Marcus Washington brings to the table and his block set up that, that touchdown without him, that play doesn't go the way it goes. Casey Thompson, uh, when it was all said and done, connected with Worthy a couple of times, but finished the game 20 of 34 for 388 and five touchdowns had eight passing plays longer than 15 yards that totaled 301 his favorite target obviously big zay big play zay xavier worthy nine receptions on 11 targets freshman record red river shootout record 261 yards and two touchdowns um 12 yards shy of jordan shipley's single game record he's on pace to be the uh next thousand yard receiver for texas but they haven't had one of those in a minute um but tied the freshman record for 100 yard games with six left to go on the year so like there's a lot to be excited about and happy about because let's be honest 
We are we are six games in to the Steve Sarkeesian experiment, and we know what deficiencies there are on the offense, and it already looks this optimized in spite of those things. Gerald, I almost feel like the Texas offense right now, Xavier Worthy is almost a microcosm of it, right? It is precociously talented. It has, you know, baby giraffe legs. It's still wobbling a bit. Um, there are obviously some some imperfections, I think, more in the offense than in, in Xavier's game. Um, but, you know, they, they have some stumbles. You look at what he did against TCU with the drops and came back. You look at what he did, you know, freshman going out, trying to make a play, returning that kick, um, ultimately bringing it from seven yards deep and getting stripped that, you know, probably turned the tide in the game, but comes back and answers in that drive First in the drive before with with a big catch downfield when it felt like truly the wheels had fallen off and we were done. We didn't score on that drive, um, but he even to do that. And then the next drive, uh, the, the last touchdown drive, he catches the touchdown in the end zone, just comes back, keeps going, resilient. That potential's there. It's just about ironing it all out and just, you know, it's hard to ask for more from him again. Um, a couple of drops a game ago. Uh, one bad decision on trying to be a hero and make a play, returning a kick. Um, surely he's seen a Jordan Shipley clip or two, uh, you know, so I get it. Um, but the entire offense, the way they pass the ball, it, it, I mean, it's almost like I, I don't, we went from, I don't know how we appreciated. Maybe, maybe we overrated Casey Thompson in the offseason. Maybe we, we underrated him after a couple weeks. I think after this game, we are underrating the performance from, from Thompson. They, there were seven listed quarterback hits from the team to go with a couple sacks. That number feels just just disrespectfully low. It was almost as though the offensive line, Kyle Flood, was revolutionizing the game by calling screen pass blocking on every play, just, just <laughs> letting them straight through and then throwing it behind them, which, again, if that works, wow. Um, but I don't think there was more than four five six tops like clean dropbacks in the game where Thompson dropped back had three seconds in the pocket loaded up and, and made a throw um I mean there were times when OU only blitzed four but even those times it felt like Nick Benito was whipping somebody on one of the two sides um it just felt like OU and we've seen it in time before a little wiggle stunt you know, on the inside and someone's coming free with a free shot at Thompson the fact that they didn't have 12 sacks in this game is I think it's a thousand percent credit to him. There were so many times he evaded one, stepped up in the pocket, moved, read it. I mean, he has such a good feel in the pocket for getting away from the first and sometimes second guy and then making plays, uh, you know, downfield, keeping his eyes downfield enough to make plays. The, the question mark with him coming into the season is, is he just going to take off and run when those things happen because he was a prolific runner in, in high school? And the answer is absolutely unequivocally no. He is, he is looking to make plays downfield, and he's done it because OU was run blitzing to stop Beachon. That was their mm-hmm. MO all game to take the run away. And because those run blitzes still got to Thompson and, and, and you know, they were beating guys one-on-one, you know, with, with D-line on O-line, um, but they kept guys in the in the intermediate to take away and force the deep pass. And what did Texas do? They hit the deep pass. Thompson took what they gave them, single coverage, and beat guys. Our receivers, to their credit, got open and beat guys. And the performance from really worthy, especially Josh Moore, especially uh, in the first half, especially, and, and Casey Thompson deserved a win. Those three players in the passing game and the way that Sarks schemed that up uh, and Milwee deserved a win. And I'll just leave it there but point period deserved it. 
there there are two sides to this coin, right? Like if you had told me on Friday night that Casey Thompson goes twenty or thirty four for three eighty eight and five touchdowns, I bet my mortgage payment on Texas. Like because that means to me, OU came in, tried to stop Bijan to force Casey to beat him, and Casey beat him. Like that's what that says to me. And so you should not need to score seventy points to win a game. That being said, right. when the 24 nothing run happened it wasn't just on the defense right right the defense did give up scores but part of that is because the offense struggled to sustain a drive they were punts they were three and outs so all of those things happened simultaneously now they were also put in bad positions by another ill-advised kick return you should not bring the ball out if it with the extended fair catch 25 yard zone if it's past the 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 goal line by an inch you should not return it like that's just my philosophy maybe i'm too conservative maybe but like i'm just that is a negative play if you bring it out of the end zone and you don't return it to the 25 that's a negative play in my mind so putting the offense behind the chains and kind of in in an enviable position before they start puts him in that position. So what I'm saying is it's a three-phased game and all three of them had their failures, including the offense, in spite of the big performance. And when Sark managed to adjust and when they started putting guys in positions to win, again, the offense picked right back up. Look, the offense had six drives in the second half. Only one of them was, was you know, over two and a half minutes they had a three and a half minute drive otherwise it was three and out three and out three and out on each of their punts one uh where they went for the couple shots when they were down at that point and they had the turnover on downs at the end of the game uh when they tried to fourth down past a Bijan that that fell incomplete and a touchdown at the end other than that they had an eight play 53 yard field goal drive that was three and a half minutes they could not sustain holding on to the ball, you know, that's the problem when Texas came out and passed as much as we said they did because OU took part of the game away in the running game. Well, you realized they, they could, you know, take some of the passing away too, get that pressure on Thompson. And it, you could only ask Bijan to do so much, right? I thought he had a good game, but a lot of his yards came uh, either in the first half or on chunk plays. Um, you know, they, OU made a point to say everyone else beat us. It's not going to be this guy. And when you have an offensive line that's utterly failing, when you have a, a running back as good as Bijan, there were some negative runs in the second half. That If you look at the stat sheet, it was a minus two-yard run that he had three broken tackles on, that he made a guy miss in the backfield with a backwards jump cut and then, and then pushed another guy off. But there's four guys waiting for him in the backfield. All that work, all those moves, all that finesse, all the wiggle. I mean, if you can't, get the ball and take one step. I mean, what is it for? And so I think the conversation, we talked about the defense a lot and and we're even adding some more nuance about how the offense could have helped the defense. But I think the conversation on what happened in this game, again, I said it, it would be a whew, what a win if we could have gotten out there with a win, but we still would have had to have this conversation about the offensive line begins and ends with just their utter failure to stop the Oklahoma defense. I mean, it, it looked like, I mean, it looked like some of the fried foods that, that we, we put <laughs> down our gullet and just passed immediately through moments later uh, in, in the porta potties of the fairgrounds, you know, they, they, they just utterly slid through like a, like a hot knife through butter. And, and it wasn't one player. It was almost the entire offensive line. It was everything off the edges, sometimes off the middle, uh, just multiple guys on, on a play where you're like, who's, who do you, who do you chalk this one up to? Three guys got in the backfield on a four man rush. Uh, within two seconds. You know, it, it just gives me pause to think about how much we could do even with the offensive performance. I've seen a lot of people talk about, oh, second half. The, no, 
everything that we did in the first half, we did even with them getting through our offensive line in the first half too. I just rewatched it and I was that was the thing that stood out most to me and I was most shocked by. Even in the first half, which was great, they were just beating our tail uh, on the offensive line. And so it has to progress. It has to get better. We do have to temper expectations and understand how good we can be. And I think Sark would tell you that, you know, you can draw up the best offense and the, and the, the, the greatest routes and schemes and, and, you know, put the defense in so much conflict. But if you can't give your quarterback three seconds, if your running back can't get three yards to get ahead of steam, all those things you want to do, even with great players, become very difficult. Yeah, and that's that's what we have to talk about is like the the line yardage that Texas was able to generate, two seven line yards. Bijan, one twenty six of his one thirty seven yards came following contact. Like that is not a that is not a way to win. That's say not that a stat success. again for the people in the back show. That is the crazy one of the craziest stats I've ever heard. One hundred twenty six of his one hundred and thirty seven yards came following contact. Like that's that's just not a way to win. Oh, you had a stuff rate of twenty percent. One out of every five rushes for Texas got stuffed, got met at the line, got fewer than three yards. And so, like, there's a there's a long conversation now about Pro Football Focus's grades, especially when it comes to the the interior. But if you go look it up, there were two Texas linemen that got really low grades, you know, single digits out of a hundred grades. Like <laughs> teacher doesn't just turn your, give you your paperback turned over. They don't give you your paperback and ask you to stay after class kind of grades. Yeah. But again, it goes to show you that this Texas team, there's a lot that they can do if they can shore up the most important position on the off- on the offense, which is offensive line. You can say quarterback all you want, but the most important position on the off- on the offense is the offensive line. And if they can shore that up, they've got horses in the other spots. And that's the thing that I think, you know, Kyle Flood's getting paid more than a million dollars a year to figure that out. And so he's going to earn his paycheck. He needs to earn his paycheck over the next couple of weeks because, and I'll go ahead and say this, right? If Texas can come out of these next three games with a win, they're probably looking at a return trip to Arlington to run it back against OU. And that's really where we're at. The sky is not falling. And again, we'll talk about this in my bang the drum because if Texas just does what it needs to do and is better than the other teams on their schedule, which it is, they get another crack at these guys. Run it back, man. If they if you go five and one at least, if you if you if you win out, you know you, you get a chance, and you have to feel because you were such the better team for one half of football that you have the capacity to be the better team. The last thing I'll say about the offensive line is we 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 all said you know it'll be interesting. We lost a senior who his upside wasn't so high in Okafer, um, but you knew what you had. But you know you brought in a tackle and Andre Karich who who had the higher upside and and look fans have always said the guy in the bench is the best player in America. Somehow OU fans were correct about Caleb Williams, but usually <laughs> that's not the case, especially with the starter guys like a Heisman contender, but usually that's not the case. And so fans immediately just said, well, we put, we put Carrick in and all of a sudden our offense will be humming. And, and that's not to say that he's bad. I'm just saying how hard it is to do this, especially, you know, in the beginning, when you don't have the film familiarity, when you don't have the reps, when you don't have the comfort of the guy next to you. We also flipped Angula over to that right side. That switches his relationship with Majors a little bit because now he's on the opposite side of him. We did what the thing with Kershetter where we brought him inside, now on the left side. I mean, you just shook some things up. I'm not saying it's you can't recover from it, but 
it will need a couple more games, right? You have a new lineup out there. It'll need a couple more games to, to get that. I mean, I think Nick Benito is a first-round draft pick. I think there's some dudes on this OU team. Texas, we came in saying, I feel optimistic because OU hasn't really performed, but we knew for sure that OU is a top-10 talent team in the country. We all knew that. We think Texas probably is somewhere around there as well. We just have to play like it, right? We have to get our guys operating. We, I don't think there, are, like Gerald said, will be another team on the schedule that has as much, or in this case, I'll go ahead and say it, more talent than Texas. And I think today, or you know, on Saturday, excuse me, uh, OU had more talent. It took them a half to realize it, but they executed where they just went out and said, all right, just just go out and win. And they did. Again, in credit to Nick Benito, credit to uh, the linebackers, credit to the safeties getting downhill and, and the, filling the box, not letting Bijan getting going to, their, to Grinch and that coaching staff, credit to OU's defense. But again, there will be six weeks of games worth if they can get some stuff going. Texas could have a different outlook and have a different opinion. And, and you've seen Sark can draw some things up if you give him time to execute it. And I like his chances of, of, of getting another crack. It's hard to beat the same team twice. We saw that a couple years ago when Texas beat OU in the Cotton Bowl and then lost to them in Arlington. And so, again, take care of business against Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State over these next three games, and you've got the inside track for a berth of the Big 12 championship. That's it. Run it back in Arlington. Let's do it all over again. It was honestly neither here nor there for about 75% of the game. And then we had <laughs> Texas had two really bad return opportunities. One, you know, the, the Roshan brought it out and put Texas in bad field position. And then uh, Worthy brought one out and got it stripped. Both of those should have been kneel downs. And we may be talking about another conversation. But Gerald, you're right. The special teams was was okay. We thought maybe this would be an area where Texas could win, right? We, we looked at how much emphasis with, with coaches who focus on special teams, Gideon Banks in the past, right? Banks, our coordinator now, the return talent we have, um, the, the way we play starters on our special teams. You saw when we were really humming a blocked punt by Overshone that he tried to uh, desperately to scoop and score um, because at that point our foot was squarely on the next and why not when you feel like you're 12 feet tall, try to just jump up, catch a, a blocked punt and run it in. Um, but that was canceled out when later in the game OU had the momentum and they had the, the the strip on an ill-advised play, like you said. But it's such a game of inches. There was a play when, you know, it was a little bang-bang in the stadium. We couldn't quite tell what happened. But since watching it, you know, Stoops took his own man out, but the ball comes down and nicks Thompson on the helmet, right? If he's an inch further back and it doesn't, Stoops still takes his own man out and Texas probably recovers that as one of their what now has become a very weaponized play when they punt it and recover it. They've done it three or four times this year. I don't know if all of them, most of them haven't counted. You know, it, it just felt like we thought there was going to be a little more. And again, Xavier Worthy, surely he's seen that video of Jordan Shipley basically changing the tide of a Red River shootout with a long return. I get it. I get one to be the hero. Gerald Trivia. Do you know who had our longest return on the day? Jamison had one. Roshan had one. Worthy had one. Three uh, absolute athletes. Cade Brewer? That's correct. Cade Brewer on the final play of the game when he tried to miraculously hurdle people. Good for you, Cade. You tried to make something happen. I, I appreciate it. Had our Probably longest should have kneeled it. Probably. I thought he was going to. But anyways, um, Cade Brewer uh, had our longest return at 19 yards. All the rest are 18. Jameson had one punt return for 17. Um, so... Yeah, we didn't ever get anything going, and that's that's a bummer. If we could have just had the blocked punt, 
and the almost and just taken that one fumble out, just chosen to take the knee, then we would have won special teams. We would have won that phase of the game. We were that close, one decision and one, you know, game of inches. So it's tough. This game, there was probably, you know, one Marcus Washington foot coming down, you know, one referee call going the other way, one fumble that doesn't bounce perfectly into their backup quarterback's hands away from happening at any given point. But when all those things happen and you allow the momentum to come back into the game and those things to get going, it is what it is. So quick Plotstradamus update. Uh, Kyle hit on both of his two Texas players over 100 yards, two sacks for Texas. I hit on one twice, but that's fine. And Jamison did not have a return TD. I said a wide receiver would go over 100. You know, again, Worthy went for a record 260-something. Jamison did not have the return TD, but that's fine. So Kyle leads 9-5, to and we'll have more predictions for you on Thursday. Now it's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we get you caught up with everything that's not football and we down the 40. Number one, Texas Volleyball. Had to sweat it out on Saturday. They managed to get the win and then on Sunday they kind of just cruised but took both from Kansas in Lawrence to stay undefeated on the season. Uh, Saturday was a bit of a was a bit of a um, edgier seat type of outing, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I they... Kansas didn't expect this. This was Texas' first game on the road in conference. Um, Kansas took them to five. That was maybe not what anyone expected coming in. Texas had to muster everything. Kansas had them on the ropes, won the first two sets, and had it tied in the the fifth set, 13-13. I mean, basically, it's over at that point if, if Texas makes one mistake. But to their credit... They dug in, and literally, in, in Logan Eggleston's case, with twenty digs, um, <laughs> and and pulled it out to remain, you know, perfect on the season. Kept that number one intact, and uh, and came back Sunday and and did did their business. I think they they showed that. All right, we went on the road, different schedule, needed a little slap in the face to wake up. I think they showed it on Sunday. They woke up. Yeah, they cruised on Sunday. The usual suspects all had big games. Ronnie Butler, Logan Eggleston, Skylar Fields, Asia O'Neal, all in double figures. Texas is now 13-0 on the year, 4-0 in conference. Uh, they got TCU at home on Thursday and Friday. Skylar Fields, for her troubles, was named the AVCA National Player of the Week, her first of those. So, again, if you're in Austin, get out to the TCU game because I think the best environment on campus is a, a volleyball game at the Greg. Soccer, after a really rough start to the season, let's go ahead and just call it what it is, is now cruising in conference play. Absolutely beat Blanks Iowa State 2-0. Lexi Missimo scored her eighth on the year in minute 42 with the assist from Lauren uh, Lamparda. Uh, Julia Grasso scored the insurance goal in minute 54, her sixth on the year. After starting, what, 0-2-1, they're now sitting 8-3-3 on the year, which is absolutely incredible to see. Yeah, still undefeated in Big 12 play, got Coach Kelly her 100th win. I think it was only the fourth time in, in the history of Big 12 they've gone five games undefeated uh, to open up Big 12 play. So, I mean, absolutely trending in the right direction. Trinity Byers 
became the first player also in Big 12 history to win Big 12 Freshman of the Week three consecutive weeks, and she only stopped uh, Lexi Massimo for, uh, from getting that after she won the first two. So basically the five weeks uh, of, of the last five weeks of the season, it has been two Lexis and three Trinities. Um, so basically an internal battle for Freshman of the Week. They also released Top Tour Soccer's list of top 100 Freshmen basically re-ranking the classes they perform, and not surprisingly, number one, Lexi, number two, Trinity. So um, our freshmen are absolutely crushing. MJ Cox also is top 25, good for her. But, uh, yeah, this is a team that's playing really well right now. They're, they, they keep this up on another week or two. There's absolutely a number next to their name, and, and right now they are very, very squarely in contention for that Big 12 championship. Yeah, they're absolutely – I mean, the, they've got a big test coming up. I think their other – their last huge test of the year, number 23, Baylor on Friday in Waco, big deal for them. And, again, they've got an opportunity to really – to compete, and I absolutely love to see it because last year was a, was a touchy year, so it's great to see the turnaround there. Softball, playing some fall ball. I, I almost don't want to talk about what they did to Grayson College because it feels <laughs> I don't, like watching a Saw film or something. 22 nothing <laughs> over Grayson College. Not a whole lot to say. Texas just absolutely beat the ever-living everything out of them. Uh, and then had, to, had to, to muscle one out over Texas State 7-4 to four over the weekend to close out the scrimmage. Yeah, just, I mean, names to be familiar with. Junior McKenzie Parker uh, had a grand slam in that one. Jordan Whitaker, uh, who's three-run homer, who's, again, probably going to be a fan favorite this year. Uh, freshman Vanessa Caroga, a, a really talented recruit coming in. And then in the, the Texas State game, which, again, is Texas State's made the tournament four of the past five years. I think they're a good team. Um, they typically are winning their conference down there. Kat Osterman's doing good things. Janae Jefferson, uh, four for six, um, you know, looked looked like herself, Mackenzie Parker again, Whitaker again, Shea O'Leary through four uh, one-hit innings. So it'll it looks like there's there's some talent again. A really tough Big Twelve uh, this year, but um, the big one coming up that will be interesting this week. Some uh, we'll talk about another team in a minute who's who's facing this opponent. But uh, next up is the Aggies on Sunday in College Station. It's fall ball, but you got to think they want to win that one. Absolutely, it's always, it always feels good to beat the Aggies. So number four men's golf is deep into the Big 12 match play tournament. They went two for two on Monday, beating TCU 4-2-0 in the first session and then going 5-1-0 against Baylor in the second session. So they actually get the first session off tomorrow and then take on Iowa State in the afternoon, competing for yet another match play championship. Women's golf placed fourth at the Windy City Classic behind two top 10 teams in Stanford, Florida, and the number 21 Virginia freshman Bo Park earned her third place finish in individual honors there. Next up for them is the Stanford Intercollegiate on the 15th and 17th through 17th in Palo Alto. Men's swimming and diving and women's swimming and diving kicked it off against Incarnate Word. The men won 13 events on the day. The women set six different meet records but next up for them get to beat those water aggies that's right not the sea aggies at ut galveston but just the uh, the pool aggies of of college station which again you never want to be in college station water but it, this was an interesting one gerald i actually was curiously tuning in uh to the men because i i'd heard some reports i didn't quite know shane casas who's who's probably the best college swimmer you know in a couple of years he was the the reigning uh swimming coaches swimmer of the year three three national championships he won last year as a junior um was like a 10th off olympic trials uh in in you know the pre 
Olympic uh, swim trials and announced he was entering the transfer portal. And then all of a sudden, everyone was saying he was, including Texas A&M media, saying he was transferring to the University of Texas. And uh, so it's like, wow, we just got the best swimmer as well. But what it seems, since he didn't compete, and now uh, Swim Swam and Swimming World have both confirmed, it sounds like um, he actually is about to announce that he's going pro. He's joining Eddie Reese's pro group, who trains with the current Longhorn swimmers at Gregory. But he will not actually be donning the burn orange to compete, unfortunately. It's okay. He made the he made almost the perfect decision, but he definitely got out of college <laughs> station, doesn't have to get in the water anymore. And finally, women's basketball in the preseason rankings picked to finish picked to finish second in the Big Twelve by the coaches behind Baylor and tied with Iowa State. Aaliyah Moore selected as the preseason freshman of the year. Friend of the show, Joanne Allen Taylor the Jat got her spot on the preseason All-Big 12 team, as well as freshman Roy Harmon, who was on the preseason honorable mention for the All-Big 12. Big year, big expectations for Coach Schaefer in year two. And now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? The game left a little bit of bad taste in my mouth. I do want to send a shout-out and a thank you to John Brady for for securing the tickets for me. Pretty primo seats. Uh, I got the notification after we'd recorded our Wednesday podcast and we announced that I would be doing the live stream. Uh, but I, I had to go. Couldn't turn them down. Got a wicked sunburn. Very much worth it. If I wasn't with good friends, good people, my, my wife, you know, cheering her butt off for UT, which is always fun. As a Baylor grad, I love when she leans in um at her first texas ou actually um and and i think second time ever the state fair um it it left a bad taste in the mouth the game but good people good friends kind of tempered that and also delicious fair food so gerald i wanted to uh not just focus on the bad because again anytime you get to go to the texas state fair it is one of the greatest traditions pageantry I'm always marvel at the fact that there aren't a bunch of fights. Again, that's probably why it's at 11 a.m. when half the stadium is opposed to the other half and they walk out together and then sit down and eat fried foods within proximity of each other. You get the occasional drunk frat guy who heckles. But for the most part, it's like, all right, whichever team won, it's like, man, we've lost in the past and done this. We don't want to rile it up and and just kind of goes about their way. You know, you'll get some conversation that's interesting. You'll get some smug looks. I did see someone walk up to the Bevo trailer as uh, they were hauling Bevo out of the fairgrounds and there was a bit of a traffic jam. So he saw his opportunity to go up two feet from the animal that is actually blessed with horns and give the horns <laughs> down to Bevo's face, which again, just a state of geniuses. But I'm going to give you a quick ranking of the best state fair foods that I ate this time. And then I'm actually curious if you have an all-timer. So, Gerald, I actually didn't have a chance to get a turkey leg. Mm. Fortunately. Did not. Mm. I, did have, I did have a fried pizza. Okay. It was pretty good. I'm going, to give it a, I'm going to give it a seven. I had the fried PB&J I went with strawberry and banana in it. I'm giving that a solid 8.5. It was just the right amount of... of it was almost perfect. It was great. Um, I had the fried jambalaya, which was delicious. Um, and uh, I'm going to give that a nine and uh, a Fletcher's corny dog, which you can never go wrong with. I, I do reserve the 10 out of 10, the pinnacle to the last time I was at the state fair two, three years ago and uh, had a tamale donut okay. to me. 
I don't know that anything has ever topped the tamale donut. I love a corn. I love a turkey leg. I mean, I love the classics. Uh, I've tried some of the wilder fried butter, fried beer, fried whatevers, right? I've, I've gone out there. Um, I made jokes about fried, you know, soy wheatgrass shots. I don't actually think they have those. But of the things that are real, and oh, and, and someone spoke into existence, man, what if they did fried chicken Alfredo balls and we walked about 10 more minutes and they had those? They, I think they gave them about a six, so not the best. But the fried tamale donut of a few years ago, I could not find it. I wanted to see if it made if it if it matched the greatness of a couple of years ago, and I could not find it. I went to the same spot. I got it before. It wasn't there. So if you're listening to this, you know, state fair board of, of food <laughs> purveyors, and I know you are something, bring back the fried tamale donut. It is a donut, deep fried, stuffed with you know uh, tamale pork and drizzled with this like. Uh, avocado crema kind of thing going on. I mean, just uh, whew, I, <laughs> you take a moment, Gerald. Uh, that is is besides you know uh, long Chris Ogbenaya runs and Jordan Shipley returns and and Rod Wright fumble rumbles. Tamale donut is like in my top ten memories at the Texas State Fair. It was that good. <laughs> Please bring it back. I just struggle, and maybe this is just because I'm getting old in my old age. But like, it's hard for me to just be get try any of this stuff when like when Fletcher's is right there. It's just like, and you know what? I don't care what you put on it: ketchup, mustard. I'm not I'm not one to food shame people, especially when it's going on the best corn dog on God's green earth. Like Fletcher's, it's it's just perfect. But again, maybe that's just because I'm old or whatever. It's fine. So I'm banging the drum this week on all of the umbrellas that are out. It's been a chicken little weekend, Kyle. The sky has been falling. We've all been upset. We've all got our feelings hurt. And that's okay. The Sooners are rubbing it in our faces, which you know what? They absolutely should be. And I've alluded to it a couple of times. It sucks to lose this way. I Don't hear me saying that I'm, hap- I, I'm not upset that Texas lost this game, especially in the fashion in which it happened. You should be able to produce enough defense to win when you are up three scores. When you're up twenty, when you're when you're up that many points, you should be able to hold it on, both offensively and defensively. You should be able to figure it out. That being said, the amount of belly aching and the sky is falling rhetoric is absolutely killing me. Let's do a thought activity. Raise your hand if you had Texas at three and three or four and two at six games with a loss to OU and one at least one non-conference. Raise your hand. If you're sitting in your car or at the gym or mentally raising your hand, then you need to chill out. Because guess what? Texas has at four and two with a non-conference loss and a loss to OU. Yes, both of those losses sucked and were embarrassing, but Texas still has all of its goals in front of it. Winning the OU game this year, by all accounts, go out. Again, If we, we I, I pub up Mike Roach and Nick Harris, not because they're friends of ours and they come on the podcast, but I think those dudes do really incredible work. And, like, Mike put out a piece on Monday night basically saying that in the eyes of most recruits, beating OU was a luxury. The sky is not falling. Now, if Texas goes out and craps the bed against Oklahoma State, I'm going to say all sorts of stuff next week. But as it stands right now, the offense is way freaking ahead of schedule. The Texas offense, based on offensive efficiency, is sixth in the nation. Five other teams that are above the 100% offensive efficiency. You want me to read them off? Best team in the country, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, 
in Michigan, who's weirdly good this year. And then you've got Texas. It's going to be okay. The defense needs to do some work. They need to get it figured out. But it's going to be okay. Texas is ahead of schedule. And if they can fill some holes pretty quickly, I think the thing has the opportunity to turn around quicker than even our wildest dreams. So let's just all take a breath. It's going to be okay. The sun came up, and Texas football will kick off again in just a few days. Gerald, thank you for making me feel a little better. I, I just I just finished a, a rewatch after this. I was I was all o- over again in a in a bad mood about how uh, four consecutive plays in the fourth quarter of you know a, a third and nineteen fifty two yard bomb where a guy who barely gets his foot in bounds followed by a kick return fumble followed by you know or in there as Spencer Rattler comes back in two point conversion to Stoops two of the worst last names in history followed by a a a, a touchdown run immediately how mad I was, how mad the chase down fumble that wasn't was, how mad I was with the, it seemed like six reviewed plays and they all went OU's favor in two plays that they should have reviewed a fumble on Caleb Williams and a, and a guy who stepped out of bounds that they didn't, that again, any of these plays could have made it different. But it's year one. We're ahead of, we're at least on schedule. We might be ahead of it. We have some things to fix, big things to fix. We know what that is, and that's luxury some teams don't have. I play golf. I go out every time and try to fix a part of my golf game and something else breaks. Uh, we kind of know what we need to fix. Now we just have to get the right guys, get the right coaching, do the right things, and fix it. The sky's still up there. And you always have a great way of making me see it, Gerald. Thank you. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. And shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We'll be back on Thursday with our preview show. And until then, hook them. Hook them. And get this. Oh, you still sucks. <laughs>